Thank you for listening in and welcome to the very first episode of Leading Well, a weekly podcast and radio talk show where we get to know leaders and how they make it happen. This is Tim Davis with Bauer Mentoring and my co-host, Alyssa Davis. And today our guest is the famous Dick with now. Uh, so how you doing, Dick? Hey, really good. Famous in my own mind, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So a, a lot of people just have a thing they do, and uh, maybe that's career-wise or whatever, but you're a little more uh, difficult to define. I mean, what would you say uh, you do or did? Ah, good question. I uh, I was talking to Bud Pierce about, uh, you know, wellness and how people live at different ages and stuff. And he says, one thing really important is that you wake up every morning and you have a a goal of doing something or do you want to do something and just not be uh, living day to day. So, you know, I I got into the uh, car business and it fit my personality of, uh, you know, 30 days a year, 10 days a quarter and one days a month. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you were in the car business for, you started in banking, right? And then right. the car business. How long were you in the car business? Uh, 50 years, actually. Uh, yeah, I, I was uh, in uh, installment lending with the U.S. National Bank, came down from Portland, and uh, we had a very large bank. Uh, Latin Bush was a very large bank, had 176 employees, had a cafeteria. Now I think there's three people in there. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, and we had a large installment lending department. I was assistant manager for that. We had 26 people and uh, had seven people uh, left. I was the first one. I left in uh, 71, uh, but six others left and got in the car business also. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Coquille, Oregon, and then uh, my parents moved to Astoria, and uh, my grandparents lived at Seaside and uh, lived there until about 13 years old. And then my dad got transferred to uh, Roseburg and went to high school at Roseburg for four years and then went to Linfield for uh, four years and uh, U.S. Bank for about six and then got in the car business. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you're married. How long have you been married? Yeah, I'm married 59 years. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, awesome. turned, uh, turned the dial on that. <laughs> that's cool. How'd you and Gail meet? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, uh, not so much how we met as how we got married. <laughs> we were uh, in high school together, in a very large high school at Roseburg, and she was. Uh, uh, we were in a play together, Our Town, and mm. uh, George and Emily, and uh, we met then, and then started going together, and then she went to Lewis and Clark, and uh, I went to Linfield. And then uh, I couldn't get out of Linfield. My grades were so bad. So she came down to <laughs> came down to Linfield, and we got married our junior year. Wow! Yeah, that's good. If you're thinking back, like, uh, what do you, what's the first thing you think you saw that you had passion for? Uh, I think I think, I think uh, working on my grandparents' farm, I learned how to work. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you know, we all drove vehicles and stuff at nine and ten and eleven years old. And uh, I can remember uh, uh, right now, I can say, looking back, there's two things I learned on that farm. One, how to work. And the other, I sure didn't want to be a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, uh, my mom, I think, was the one that was really the was the strength of uh, our family. My, my dad was a musician and everything, but my mom was uh, uh, always a dreamer. And, and what she really gave me was... Uh, never uh all possibilities of living life you know she she uh was never negative she was got us in trouble as a family sometimes but but living large you know on a teacher's salary but uh but uh 
yeah, she was uh, she was always a, a dreamer and uh, and uh, and all of that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, if you when you're looking back during the times you were in the car business, uh, what was some of the biggest maybe a biggest challenge you had? Well, I got in a in a product. The first product that I got into was with Delon Oldsmobile, and of course, uh, 1971 to 1979, the number one nameplate was Olds Cutlass, which is actually a kind of a statement of life. How you can, how however, could you screw up a, a brand like that? It'd be like Coca Cola, you know. From that point, it was living, you know, living with a real successful product. I uh, became sales manager at Tiggs, which I eventually bought in 1980. But this was 1973, and uh, and that's when uh, Dodge was in trouble financially, as they did also came back in 1980. But uh, but they, we didn't have any gas. I mean, you had to wait in line for gas and everything. So uh, I think I just uh, saw the opportunity that if you uh, uh, had adversity and could convince yourself people are still going to buy this product that you're selling, which in my case was cars. No one was walking around. They're still buying cars. <laughs> uh, I've always had the reputation of doing well in a down market. Uh, it's kind of a classic. You have a a going market, it's a very large market, and uh, but if you have a, a down market, then a lot of your competitors are being very conservative, and I always leaned into a down market and got a bigger share in a down market, and uh, was able to hire very good people in a down market and convince them that you could do well, and, and uh, history shows that. Yeah, yeah. Um, when do you think you first recognized or or saw yourself as a leader? <laughs> you know, that's really a good question because I've been around some really great leaders. I mean, really been, you know, Lee Iacocca, Ad Rutchman, John Eskelson, U.S. Bank. I mean, I've been around some really, really good guys. For me, leadership was a, a knowing that I wasn't the best at everything and that I, if I could attract, if I could be a coach with people that who really had talent and all of us get going in one direction, then, uh, then uh, I could water ski behind them, so to speak. And I think leaders who feel like they're the the epitome of of being out front or what have you, I think that's misguided. I think it. Uh, uh, I mean, it's corny, but uh, there's no I in in team. <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, I I got plenty of ego, I guess, uh, not guess, but I got plenty. I like to be. I like to win. You know. I mean, mm. sure, but uh, I still like to. Uh, uh, bring a lot of people along with me, or they let me with them. Um, uh, it comes, it, it reverts back to leadership. I, I think you have to be aware of the underdog. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's really a God thing that he reaches down, hands you hands up, and that's uh, that's exciting for me. I I just love that underdog thing uh, uh, to help people to t- to rectify themselves. Yeah. Yeah. If there's uh, anybody like listening that's like, you know, I want to grow up and be like Dick with Mel. I want to have the influence. I want to have uh, that. Like, what is your when you wake up in the morning? What does your morning look like? Huh. Well, I, I always uh, that, that that interesting that you say that like that because when you peel the onion, I mean, we're all uh, we all have a lot of improvement to make, uh, sure. Mm. But uh, wake up in the morning. I, I always uh, exercise every morning. Uh, I, I did that even with. Uh, even with uh, you know in in business and stuff, but uh, um, so I, I I work out for about forty five fifty five minutes every day every single day, mm. and uh, um, so when we have uh, 
uh, food for thought, that means I got to get up at 4.30. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm a morning person, but I don't do morning meetings anymore. <laughs> but well, uh, I can only take 50% responsibility because food for thought was your idea. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> one of those dumb things. But, but, but uh, uh, the, the bottom line is well, the reason I do that is not only good for your health, of course, is that I needed that W. I need that wind. And so I don't care how the day goes. I always can look back and say, well, at least I did that. Mm. <laughs> at least I did mm. that. And so, um, uh, so and then, then I, I, I uh, you know, I organized the night before. I have the stickies that I put up the, the things I'm going to accomplish. I want to accomplish, I have to do and want to accomplish the next day and drives Gale nuts. But uh, I have that. And, uh, um, and, uh, I, you know, I just, uh, you have just a, I guess the word's passion, you know, just a, mm. this life in general as a, as a passion, you know, um, I'm forcing a person who I can turn the light switch off. I can really uh, relax and go to sleep real fast and all of that. Mm. But then uh, when the light switch goes on, I can be on uh, with the best of them. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, I, I know you fairly well. You've, you've had a lot of accolades through your life, whatever. Was, um, maybe, uh, in leadership environments, what's a what's a funny story that you know when you think back of being in different meetings or different environments or companies? You know, well, I've had the highest my, my whenever I make a speech, people should really hang on because I can say the dumbest things. Uh, <laughs> I remember being a member of uh, Linfield College's board, <clears throat> and I was going to represent uh, uh, Linfield at. Uh, uh, at Rutschman being in the Hall of Fame, and we were at Notre Dame, and for the for the reception, and the next day he was going to be put in the Hall of Fame, and ESPN tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, why uh, why are you here? And I said, I'm Dick Withnell. I'm representing Linfield College. I'm here to see at Rutschman get indicted. And, and of course, <laughs> I didn't know realize what I said, but uh, right. but that uh, I've got I got quite a few of those, and uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, I was I was elected national Dodge chair, uh, representing forty six hundred dealers, and mm -hmm. uh, I was representing the Northwest guys. And I threw my hat in the ring, and they had to have they have to have a, a majority uh, to win this ch a chairmanship. And I wanted to I wanted to do that, and, and I wanted this as an excuse to get away from the store to see if David wanted to run the store and stuff. <laughs> and so. Uh, we were at the Phoenician in, in Scottsdale, and they were voting, and, and they couldn't get they couldn't get uh, they couldn't get anybody to get a majority. So some guy from Florida got to be about uh, eleven o'clock uh, Scottsdale time. He says, "Hey," he says, "I'm from Florida. This is my uh, time to go get a beer." He says, uh, "This Withrow over here." He says, uh, <laughs> "No one knows who he is. He's from Salem, Oregon." And uh, I, and so uh, let's let's put him in. So they unanimously voted for me, and everybody went except for me went to the bar. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Um, if uh, yeah, if you know you're you're where you're at today, and you were going to give advice to your thirty or forty year old self, um, you know, what do you think that? You know, I know there's lots of advice, maybe, but what's what's one or two things that would stick out to you that uh, I think it's what's that le legacy that you're going to leave in mm -hmm. life? You know, uh, uh, I'm really uh, visible of the of, of the lack of uh, second, third, and fourth generation staying put in one uh, one locale. I, I I'm really I'm really uh, been really thinking about that. How 
Mid-Atlantic Valley is so fortunate to have uh, second, third, and fourth generation folk here who are vested in this community. And uh, in a lot of places, uh, you know, uh, I see this even on school boards. I see this on, on uh, city councils. You know, people have been in, in town around 10, 15 years. Well, they don't really know particularly. I'm glad they're serving, but I, they don't think they know the culture of what brought us here. And uh, I remember the, you know, the Tocqueville story when he wrote about uh, the giving of America, how he came over here from France, and he couldn't believe how people came together to build farms together, silos together, and husband and wives working together. And I think that's what's really, really... Uh, uh, I remember in 1984, uh, Jerry Frank called me up and he says, I understand that you sold off Emerson. And I says, yeah. And I says, Gail and I, we lived modestly and we paid him off and paid him off early and all that. And he says, well, you know, you didn't pay off Emerson. I says, well, Mr. Frank, it was Mr. Frank then. <laughs> I said, Mr. Frank, I, I certainly did. I, I, as I said, we, we you know, pay, paid him off early and all that. And he says, well, you didn't pay him off. He says, uh, the people who bought your goods and services paid him off. Mm. And that, uh, of course, I was only like uh, 42 or 43 years old then. But that really hit me as I got into my 50s and stuff that the giving back to the community to make it successful that becomes high tide raises all boats. Uh, I can remember our 13 auto dealers would come together and we could raise $100,000, $250,000 because we knew that we, if we put it in our community, they would flourish and then they would buy uh, vehicles from all of us. And that was one thing about Marion County is is that uh, there'd be one, two, three dealers that would be the best in their region per capita sales, uh, whether it be the Ford store, the Chevrolet store, us at Dodge, the Chrysler Plymouth with Mike Robertson, whatever, whoever it was, or uh, uh, because we held on to our customers because we gave back to the community. And uh, that giving back, that giving back, uh, I, I can't think of anybody more selfish than somebody that milks the cow and doesn't feed it. And so mm. it's, it's ridiculous, you know. So uh, I, I really, really believe that because somebody helped me along the way that made it successful. I carry that list with me. You've heard me say it over and over again about the guys that, that were here in our community here in Marion County, the the bonus bonus deals, Hammer, Compton, Davis, Green, Sherman, Omar, Chafin, on and on, Teague, Newfelt, Waddell, all these guys in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that made our community so, so vibrant. And, of course, Jerry Frank was in the middle of that, too. And he, he just passed. So it's the giving back, the history of the community that's, uh, that's important. I don't see that as much anymore in Portland or as I do in other, other communities. Yeah. No, I think, you know, you, you touched on legacy and uh, maybe uh, another way that people uh, look at that. The way I think about it is finishing well, you know. And uh, um, I think, you know, you, I, I know that you're – you're a guy that has an ego, but you're also very, very humble, I think. And so you've accomplished a ton of stuff. I think our, I don't know anybody who's influenced our community, maybe more than, than you, uh, in the way you and Gail have, have served and, and given back and, uh, uh, a lot of the nonprofits and, and other things around. Um, if, uh, if you're giving advice to a, to a young entrepreneur or a startup nonprofit, what's what's another piece of advice you'd you'd give them? Well, that's a uh, 
it's, 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 it, I always tell people when they talk to me or something or, or for advice and stuff, you want to do the cow theory. Uh, my understanding about cows is they have four or five stomachs, and so they chew food and they swallow it and then they burp it up and they chew their cud. And, uh, but you want to take that with advice because what goes out the back end, that's, that's manure. <laughs> and so you want to take everything with a grain of salt. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, just stay, stay true to your uh, to your, yourself, you know, and don't cut any corners or and you have to work your fanny off. Uh, this idea of 30-hour work week or 40-hour work week, I, I don't know. Uh, I came off of 60 or 65 hours, and and, and uh, one day a week off was, was great. Uh, I'm, I know my grandparents were concerned about me, not my work ethic, but but I, trust me, I, I am really concerned about the work ethic, <laughs> about the people that are growing up, so I sound like my, my grandfather, but uh, uh, America still believes in capitalism. America pleases in helping other people, and and again, I go back to that underdog. Uh, for some reason, I don't know. I just it, just when I worked with Oregon Youth Authority or when I some other th projects we've been on, I just love that turnaround. There's, I think it's a god. Uh, uh, the the biggest turnaround, of course, is Jesus Christ dying for our sins. I mean, how? Uh, I mean, if you want, if you have a, a son, like I know you do, Tim. You're not going to send him over to my neighborhood to get to get killed for my sins. I mean, that's no way. I mean, he did that for us, and and, and then that goes into the my you know my stump speech about you know there's only one authentic one, and that's him. Yeah, yeah. that's good advice. That's good advice. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, the the people I respect and and take in the most information from, I think, do a a really good job of of not separating their their faith and their convictions from what it is they're doing and uh i feel like uh that that's tiring i i spent the first you know 25 years of my life trying to uh be somebody i really wasn't and that you that wears you out so yeah um maybe a couple more practical things sure. uh you know you're in a lot of meetings i'm in a lot of meetings we we you know whatever but uh what are, what is one or two aspects that make a productive or a good meeting well 59 minutes max <laughs> i'll tell you that <laughs> i thought that was coming yeah, yeah. reinfeld uh, who was the secretary of treasury he had 15 minute meetings his his meetings were all of the with the high uh, tables and you just came in and gave your spiel and, and blew out uh, yeah, me meetings have to be well organized. You know, if you're the if you're leading the meeting, you have to be you know one thing you want to accomplish. You, you got to hear from people, uh, but you also have to come out with the decisions and stuff. So uh, 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 meetings aren't aren't a place for uh or uh. I think meetings are where you put everything out on the table. Uh, I always put everything in the in the context of uh, you know. We're trying to make these social changes. We're not talking about selling widgets. We're talking about human lives. And if you don't, if you don't put it in that context, uh, and then one is important. I mean, sure, I like to sell, you know, 150, 300 cars a month. But then when you're dealing with lives, one's very, very important. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think something else that a 59-minute meeting does is what you're saying. It removes the 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 fat, so to speak, right? You're gonna right. You're gonna have to whittle down so that somebody's put some thought into make getting out of there in 59 minutes. Speaking of, you know, taking out the fat and making sure that you're boiled down. I mean, I know you keep 
a lot of cards in your pocket. You not playing cards, of course. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the things you keep? He is yeah, little... I do. I, as they're all reminders, you know. I, I love the. Uh, uh, I always watch game day on Saturday on, on when the fall football season. The football season to me is the kickoff of the fall. I've always been. My January has always been the day after Labor Day, and uh, because I came out of a, a school family. And if you have your goals between, I call it nine to five, I don't mean nine to five, I mean nine to five in September and May, then you have your, you get to December, everybody's all worried about their January starting their goals, where I've already had three months into them. And then I get spring vacation, I can reevaluate, try to hit them by Memorial Day, which is impossible. But then you have June, July, and August to think about September again. And I've always felt mentally that I've always been three months ahead of everybody. And I needed to be that way. He's that slow, <laughs> but but uh, and then I then I got a list of guys who lost their life during my time, uh, you know, like Ken Austin, Guido Colorado, Larry Epping, Jerry Frank, Bill Fry, Les Green, Brian Johnson. I always wanted. You know, am I who, who's who's filling those guys up? You know, who's who's uh, who's doing that? And uh, and so you know, I carry those around with me. I just you know, it gives me stimulus to to do stuff and. Uh, um, dry scale crazy, but uh, you know, I I don't know. I, I just you know want to want to light my fire every day, and mm. uh, not that I can't relax, I can do that too. But uh, but uh, you know, I still have some mileage in me, so if you wanted to want to. Yeah, I, I, we touched base on this a little bit on on the five hundred one c threes and stuff. I, I need sure. to say this to my counterparts that are my age and stuff. You know, there's two ways to think of your estates and stuff. Whether or not you liquidate your estates during your lifespan, that is 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, or you wait until you die and then it's dispersed by your inheritance and stuff. And Gail and I have elected to disperse a lot of our assets while we're alive to see the value of that. And I think that's uh, that, that's an instinct that I've always followed that I um yeah, I always laugh when people say, well, how much money are you going to give and stuff? I don't give any money away at all, period. I make purchases. You know, Men for Valor is a great purchase of ours. You know, we do other other purchases. And uh, and because you're expecting ROI. I, I, there's not one person who has given me money for a car that didn't expect it to run. <laughs> you know, you, right. you purchase a vehicle, you want it to run, you want to have a warranty and all that stuff. So that's just a little niche of mine. But uh but I have a lot of discussion with friends of mine who are who are, are waiting for the uh, after they're dead, they're gonna be, their assets are going to be dispersed. I think that's about the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. But uh, you know, I have a, you don't want to run out of money though either, of course. But uh, yeah, you know. I think it speaks to a, a kind of an interesting take on legacy is something that's really important to you, from exactly. what I understand, and the legacy of the people that you carry in your pocket and focusing on those people. And I think that's a cool legacy for them to have that you you know think so highly of them and that you're. You're intentional about that, and also you want to see legacy in your lifetime as well, and so that's something cool. Yeah, to me that that's really winning. I mean, I, I think it's our nature as as Americans and the the capitalistic system and stuff. I think that we uh, that we like to uh, see the team win, and that's we're part of that team thing. And so we have we 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 get to help other people to succeed in their in their lives. You know, we're all not going to be car dealers, thank God, but we're <laughs> we're not all going to be pastors. That's that's how this country was founded with uh, people wanting freedom and stuff, you know, to be able to fail, you know. You know, I I mean I've had I stubbed my toes a couple of times financially and stuff that, you know, made some bonehead decisions and, and stuff, but uh, but uh, you know, you get to recover and you you uh, 
rely on your faith and what have you. But uh, I like that comment of the of the of the, of the legacy. I I uh, I uh, uh, with that is, is is a responsibility. I mean, I, a person my age, you get you get these accolades that like you 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 guys have mentioned and stuff. But to me, that just oh man, it just drives me nuts because I know I could give you twenty other people who have done more. And so what it does is, unfortunately, and I guess I'd be a, a real good patient for a clinical psychologist, if, because when you say that, and I've said this, I said this particularly, I've done a survey on first citizens of Kaiser and, and of, of Salem. When you become first citizen, you really do know that there's other people doing a lot more work, and it just makes you want to do more. Mm. And you talk to Gladys Bunn, Brian Hendricks, uh, Janet Taylor, you talk to uh, all these people that are just such great people, and, and they'll all say, you know, hey, come on, come on. But then I always find them, they're out there working harder the next time. Mm. Yeah, you know, the, the Randy Comptons, the yeah, exactly. Rich Duncans, the, you know, all those, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Oh, well, you know, I, I think uh, I learned a lot from you. And I, I think uh, part of humility is still being hungry, like you're saying, right? We never, if we see ourselves, if we're reading our own press clippings you know, yeah. too much, then then actually you, I think you stunt your growth and, and so on, which is a different way of saying what you've said, you know? Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, I, we sure appreciate you sharing your time sure. and, and your resources with our community and your wisdom. And, uh, yeah, we, we value you a great deal uh, around here. And uh, I sure like those nice comments. Could you write them down so I can show them to Gail? Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to our very first episode of Leading Well by Valor Mentoring. You can catch us on KSLM every Saturday morning at 11 and wherever you listen to your podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and spending part of your Saturday with us. We hope you join us again next time.